Welcome to Ramdas Here and Now. I'm your host, Raghu Marcus. Well, I've gone back into the archives of uh, Ramdas.org, and uh, it's really an embarrassment of riches. There just is. There's so many things. Now, I've known Ramdas since the late '60s, and uh, I know how much he was on the road in between the first and second time that he went to India, and then subsequently. And uh, I've traveled a little with him from time to time and done different projects and so on. But I am truly staggered by the wealth of material and the connectivity of the material. You can hear something, as I'm going to uh, play shortly, uh, it's from... I believe 1974 or 75, it's some of the dating that was done wasn't quite right. And uh, in this particular talk, uh, actually, it's, a, it's an interview on a radio station in New York, again, around that 74, 5 uh, timing. And how I can figure that out is uh, he, Ramdas talks about, A, that Be Here Now had just come out seemingly within a couple of years. By that time, it had sold a few hundred thousand copies. And also, uh, uh, he talked about a uh, six-vinyl record box set called Love, Serve, Remember, which um, I was one of the people involved uh, with him in creating it. And that was also based on, uh, that set was based on uh, uh, some uh, radio shows he had done with a man named Paul Gorman, lovely man in New York. Uh, who was on BAI, a famous station that's still uh, in operation in New York, well-known. And there was a lot of Q&As, and we, we honed them down to the best ones, and alongside of music and readings and so on, it's a fantastic uh, set. It is still available, um, and uh, you write to info at ramdas.org, and somebody will lead you to how to get it, because I'm not sure. I think it's available two ways, maybe on CDs and also as downloads. I'm pretty sure it's available as downloads now. And I just love this uh, Ramdas, the stuff that he does on air. And this in particular is a little bit different because usually he did get on air and they would take questions and he would answer them and so on. But in this case, um, uh, these couple of DJs who were interested in Ram, one of them's last name is Alpert, and that's, he met Ramdas at some uh, lecture. He was on his way to a Gilbert and Sullivan show or some crazy thing. Anyhow, uh, he convinced him to come down to the station. There's some wonderful um, core descriptions of what his practice was and is to this day. And again, from the early 70s, I mean... And in particular, this uh, the stuff that I find the most helpful is uh, talks he gave about karma yoga. He was asked uh, what that means. And basically, um, of course, karma yoga is uh, a transformation of being that's based on the work that you do in the world and that you take everything that you do as an offering to the higher power. And of course, that's elucidated most particularly um, pointedly in the Bhagavad Gita, which is a very well-known Hindu text. 
one of the best known. But he also talks about, so, you know, being in the world and doing your work and, and doing your family thing and doing the society thing and doing everything uh, that you're given in this life and, and just looking at it all um, as a teaching to enable you to get free. You know, and he talks about every experience is, is grist for the mill. And I think that's probably a key for everybody at any stage of the game is to be able to see this, to be able to see um, every work experience, every um, relationship, uh, you know, and you stop for a moment just identifying with that part of yourself that is on uh, automatic, on remote, in terms of all of this interaction. So uh, taking these experiences and using them to move forward, to be identified with soul, spiritual heart, is, is crucial. And um, it's a practice that anyone can do anytime. Now, in, in other uh, lectures I know and, and talks that Ramdas has given, you know, he talks a lot about being able to use awareness and the witness in order to to do this. And uh, uh, what else? See, he talks about um, he talks about getting off of planes at the time. He was walking around in robes and uh, long hair and long beard, and he looked the part of uh, Jesus. And uh, you know, it's because he had just come from India, and I think for. For a number of years in the mid-70s, he dressed like that. And then I think as 1980 came about, he cut it all off. I guess it just was attracting too much attention to the outer physical uh, manifestation that uh, people were getting lost in it. But he would talk about getting off the plane and you'd see all these beautiful, pious people looking at him. Oh, Baba Ramdas has come. you know. And then there was the other people waiting for the other people who were coming off the plane who didn't know him from Adam. And uh, they were all looking at him and going, who's this weirdo? So you had two completely different perceptions. And the DJ said to him, you know, well, how do you deal with this? And again, it's again part of karma yoga, just dealing with the fact that behind everyone's preconceptions about people, how they look, how they act, is us. And he said, and my practice would be, to just see behind, see them as my guru, see them who they really are behind of all, all of that. And, uh, it, well, he talks about how, you know, some of them come and they're, you know, the piousness is, is just uh, engendering this uh, respect that's not real and it's not substantial. It's just projection and, you know, feeds ego. And that's just Maharaji's way in that moment to just show you where you're not. So, again, each experience is just conducive to becoming free. Every experience with every person, every experience with every object, with every uh, w with whatever work you're doing and so on. A really important uh, talk, part of this talk. Some of it, the rest of it is, you know, Ramdas being who he who he is, and uh, more of who he was back then. Which, as the guy said, I walked into this hall to see you, 
And I didn't know, I thought I had walked into a comedy club. And, uh, you know, it's interesting Ram Dass's response to that. Um, but the bottom line is uh, getting to the place where we cease to be identified with our individual differences. I think that's one major point that comes out of this particular lecture, uh, talk, uh, interview, rather. Um, and in the interview, he talks about this. I mean, boy, isn't our world right now made up of so much individual difference and so much opposition and so much other than? I mean, we look at what's going on in our society today where this country is is uh, so, so divided, especially with these... Uh, political uh, conventions that are going on. I mean, I myself have such a hard time having compassion, you know, for the other side. Um, it's, it's tough. It's tough. That's why I mean, Ram Dass talks about how he used to put George Bush's picture on his, on his altar and just to find that soul behind the sort of bad incarnation in terms of the things that uh, he did that affected uh, so many people negatively. So, karma yoga, I mean, it is absolutely an essential ingredient in, in coming to peace with yourself, with ourselves. And uh, so, uh, here it is, Ramdas here and now, Karma Yoga. 106.7 FM, WRBR in New York. Hi, I'm Arthur Alpert. The program is Connections. And Ram Das is here, and we'll talk with him in just a moment. What about Timothy Leary? Mm, yeah. Who we yeah. could mention in this connection. Yeah. What is his current uh, status? He's in jail. Uh, yeah, Timothy is uh, serving, at the moment he's serving 10 to 20 years for possession of two roaches. Yeah. And uh, marijuana. Marijuana cigarette stubs found in an ashtray. Yeah. That's the technical charge. The political social charge, of course, is that he is corrupting mankind. He's an evil force in the society, and he, a witch of the, uh, in the witch burning days, and he should be punished. So he's a political prisoner, as far as I can see. Yeah, yeah. And he's facing uh, two or three more charges after that one is over. So I assume he'll serve three to five years now. He's at Folsom Prison in California, which mm -hmm. is a good place to do your time if you have to. And if you feel, um, you know, if you need any extra impetus, uh, last night Spiro Agnew became a civil libertarian. <laughs> and really? uh, <laughs> lovely. I didn't hear that. Oh, yes, he made it. One day he's, he's very upset about a lot of things like pretrial publicity. And, uh, and the use of immunity by prosecutors and stuff like that. And uh, he is really concerned about the individual's rights against the criminal justice system. So maybe, maybe you ought to write to Spiro and ask him to get in the, uh, uh, to help Tony Maynard and Timothy Leary and so on. He and Jimmy Hoffer can all get together and <laughs> right, start a committee. Yeah. Oh, I have hey. to read you something immediately. Okay, go ahead. Hey, that's, oh, I forgot to tell this you, Eve Kauf, <laughs> Kaufman is here too. That's the higher voice. Yes. Look what I came across in uh, Be Here Now. Yes. You don't seem to understand. You are in prison. If you are to get out of prison, the first thing you must realize is you are in prison. Just thought I'd read that. Yes. 
Hey, let me, let me uh, at the risk of sounding old-fashioned and linear, let me tell you what, uh, let, let's start all over again. I'm Arthur Alpert, that's Ram Das, and that was Eve Kaufman who just said that, who just read that from Be Here Now, a book Ram Das wrote. Actually, as I remember it, it says uh, on the title page, uh, by Richard Alpert becoming Ram Dass? It doesn't say by anybody. It's oh. not by anybody. Oh. That's the oh. first chapter, is the transformation oh. of Richard Alpert to Baba Ram Dass. There it is, the transformation of Richard Alpert to Baba Ram Dass. And Richard Alpert and Arthur Alpert are not, as far as we know, related, but... Um, well, as far knows? as we know, we're related, but as far technically, <laughs> on this level, we may not be. <laughs> on this, on the old, uh -huh. in the old vulgar. And, of course, um, uh, Ram Dass is... Um, well, I don't want to tell you about him. You'll find out about him. Uh, I mean, most people know who he is, and those people who don't know who he is will find out perhaps more better by when we talk than by... You want me to say stuff. who I am? Yeah, who are you? Shall I give you the one-minute uh, <laughs> curriculum vitae? One-minute uh, resume. Um, Richard Alpert was a uh, middle-class Jewish Boston boy. Went to uh, public schools, prep school, Tufts College, Wesleyan University for Masters, Stanford University for Ph.D., in research in child development, personality, Freudian theory, and so on, and did uh, clinical psychology as well. Uh, primarily research, teaching psychologist, 1958. Went to Harvard and um, became a member of the social relations department, uh, teaching courses in Freud and psychopathology and stuff like that. Um, 61, um, took psilocybin with uh, a friend, Timothy Leary, uh, who was my first uh, major teacher in this conscious spiritual journey. Uh, that started me on uh, a journey which led to my being fired from Harvard in 1963 and being uh, with Timothy, a kind of a um, jet set hippie, <laughs> uh, working, researching psychedelics until 1966. At which point I went to India. At that time, I was giving lectures for the National Institute of Mental Health. On I was the bad guy on a panel of good guys, the uh, the good bad guy. Tim was too bad as a bad guy. And um, '67, I went to India with a friend, David Padua from New York. And in the course of that journey, I met um, an old man in the mountains of India who um, blew my mind. Um, my Western rational mind, finally, which LSD hadn't quite been able to do. And I ended up becoming a um, devotee and staying in India that time for six or eight more months. And then the two years later, for two years, came back in between and hung out with people in the West, found out we we're all on the same journey together. It's just we have different metaphors and sharing my metaphor with everybody, which led ultimately into a box called From Bindu to Ojis, which we gave away 10,000 copies of, and when the demand for that got too great, we finally put out a book called Be Here Now, which was, is being published by a commune in New Mexico called Lama Foundation. And uh, that book was Be Here Now, which um, is uh, an underground book, is the best way of describing it. It's not, uh, it's not visible on the uh, Time magazine circuit. Uh, which is really, uh, it's interesting, it's only for those who seem to need it, and uh, it's uh, now sold about 350,000 copies, and it's really nice, it's very uh, pure. And um, then uh, this year we put out uh, some records, which we'll talk about as the day goes on. So my work is my work on myself, 
my understanding of my responsibility as a human being is to alleviate human, uh, alleviate suffering of all sentient beings. And each of us has to find the way in our hearts that we do that. But we have to understand that whatever we do, the way in which we do it is really kind of important. And the way we do it is a function of how conscious we are about ourselves. And my work is to serve other people, but only in relation also, it all becomes my work on myself. That is, I'm a karma yogi. So I do what I do, but I do it in order to come to God, is the straightest way I can say it. And what I do, I don't really know what I do. I give lectures and I hang out with people. And uh, I just generally learn how to love people, serve people, remember God. That brings you up to date. Until the last part there, I thought you'd get the job. But uh, that last part, I think you're overqualified. And um, that was a curriculum vitae, you see. Ah, you know, ah lost you there. Forgotten where you were. Right, right. That uh, karma yogi. Uh, you were translating that, but do that again. Uh, well, the best statement of karma yoga is in the book called the Bhagavad Gita, which is the basic, one of the basic Hindu spiritual texts. And it's a form of yoga, which means union. It's a form of uh, transformation of being, coming into the spirit, coming into consciousness, coming into love, whatever metaphor you want to use, that is based on um, your daily work in the world. That is, it's a way of taking what you do every day and using it as a conversion vehicle mm. so that you do what you do, but you do it like as an offering. It's like when people say grace before meals, that in the West has gotten to grace, let's eat, you know, that kind of thing. But, but the real thing is to convert the whole meaning of the experience of eating. And so with working, so with being here today, yeah. there's one, it's like which reality you're living in. Like we can live in the reality, we're in a studio and there's static on the earphones and there's you and I and so on, all this. Or um, I can live in a reality that I'm coming to God and that all this is a teaching that's being given to me to help me get there. Okay. Now, phenotypically on the outside, it may not make any difference as to what we talk about. But at a deeper level, it does, because in one way, I'm getting out of the egocentric predicament of I got something to say or something like that. I, all of this is lawfully unfolding as far as I'm concerned, and I'm including what I'm saying. Yeah, and it's, it's important to me um, because this program is for me something of much slower process, but something like the process yeah. that you went I through understand. that you described. Your, this is your work on yourself, this program. Yeah, yeah, sure, exactly. I understand that. Yeah. I want to go back. I sort of met you first in Be Here Now in, in the book, which uh, uh, Molly Scott gave to me, some of RVR people will remember Molly, who Ramdas just said he met last week in India, which, right. which, uh, which tells us where, she's, where she is, at least in, on one plane. On one plane. Um, and uh, then I was at Hunter College about six months ago uh, for Gilbert and Sullivan. And I noticed that all the straight people were going to Gilbert and Sullivan and all the other people were going somewhere else. And I followed the other people. Uh, and and, and uh, there I was for the last 15 or 20 minutes of, of your appearance there. And uh, introduced myself as another Alpert. And that's how he is here. Uh, just another, it's just another Gilbert and Sullivan. You understand that? <laughs> <laughs> Contemporary Gilbert and Sullivan. Uh, hmm. Another would, aesthetic sham. Yeah. <laughs> would, would you... Well, that, oh, well yeah. I was about to say, I would you sum up your philosophy of general? Um, <laughs> okay. 
it, you know, you know, I walked in and it was a, it was a, a fantastic show. You were, mm. you know, I walked in and there you were in, in that nice white thing. <laughs> you were dressed in white. <laughs> My father said a funny thing. He saw me at the Universalist Church about four years ago. And the backdrop in that church is Christ washing the feet of the disciples. He was in New York at a meeting of his president's club or something like that. And I said to him, why don't you come over? I'm speaking at him. He came over and the place was mobbed. And at one point he, re he leaned over to his soon to be wife, his second wife. And he said, uh, you know, he says, I feel just like the Virgin Mary. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting up there in white with flowers <laughs> against the backdrop of Jesus. And uh, yeah, yeah. he just got carried away. Well, well, well. The, the, what hit me was one. There you were in white, and it was quite a quite a scene. And then you were you were pretty funny, and uh, and I thought, now wait a minute, is this uh, Ram Das or is this uh, um, a, a Jewish comedian uh, just taking it one step further? And if uh, you find out, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I have to be one or the other? Okay, okay. But wait a minute. One other thing hit me was that that there was much. There were a lot of young people who were very, very respectful of you, um, treating you as uh, a guru. And then I remembered back to be here now where you talked about, oh, I had those feelings last night. I went out to make a speech on Long Island. You talked about how uncomfortable it was when you were Professor Albert and you were a big wheel and you were a, a swinging bachelor and, and you were Harvard and people gave you all kinds of... Uh, respect and you had your doubts there you you know inside mm. you were saying who me mm. and I was wondering do you do you do you have those feelings still the discomfort then was because I was trying to think I was what they thought I was now if they think I'm something that's their predicament <laughs> I mean that's not my predicament I don't think I'm anybody yeah I mean I listen like I get off an airplane when I'm going to speak somewhere you come down the um, runway or whatever that thing's called uh, getting off the airplane thing and you walk into the terminal and there are some people standing in white with flowers and they're looking like, <laughs> you know, it's just a vision appearing. You know, I said, Baba Ramdas. And then the other people are there to meet somebody else. See? And they're looking and saying, who's this bald old jerk, you know, and I'd hate to kiss him or whatever they're <laughs> feeling. You know? And I can run through all these consciousnesses and see all these different takes of who I must be as I get down. And I don't have to be anybody particularly that I can figure. I mean, it's all projective systems anyway. Hmm. But hmm. you feel differently about the people with the flowers that are greeting you, looking pious, no, than you do me, about the others? No, because my work, part, my particular sadhana involves my work my, on myself, involves looking through in each individual, looking through the body, the personality, the attitudes, opinions, all that stuff, back to the place where, quote, we are, or where I see my guru again. So all I ever see is my guru in drag, by the mm -hmm. way. See, my, it's always my guru come to lay a trip on me, okay? And uh, that's as much a trip mm -hmm. as that is a trip. These are all consciousness trips that you can either buy or not. You can say, sure, man, you're angry at me, and here we are, or, Yes, you love me and you want to worship me, and here we are, you know, because as far as I'm concerned, they're all more stuff of the mind. So and that's all to, more illusion. You're learning how to listen a lot better all yeah. the time, then. Mm -hmm. it, it's a heavy does, one. does that imply that you're happy? Well, the straightest answer to that is I'm neither happy nor unhappy. There is happiness and there is unhappiness, and it goes by just like the bus goes down New York Avenue. But slowly. <laughs> but some uh, of them go across right, town yeah. and some of them go yeah, downtown. Right. And... Uh, um, <laughs> that's where yeah. they go. That's emotions. Yeah. There is a, in, in Be Here Now, 
Um, you talk it. Gosh, I gotta open it up. There's one point where, at the beginning of the book, you're you're sort of describing yourself in in psychological terms. You're still Richard Alpert then, and uh, and you're you're talking about anxiety mm. and diarrhea and all that stuff. Right. right. Mm. Uh, and I wish I had put a little uh, piece of paper in here so that I would find it quickly. But um, the um, here we go. Um, I think this was, yeah, you shoveled snow at five in the morning, right? right? And your parents thought you were a nut and you looked up to them and smiled and they, they sort of got the message. Uh, and then you said, the seeds of the ability to be able to confront and even disagree with an existing institution and know and trust that inside place that says it's all right. Right. It's something I could never have done without anxi anxiety until that moment, until that day. Mm. Anxiety is now gone? I mean, I mean now, now you by saying that neither happy nor unhappy? Uh, no, I'm very uneven, okay? I'm not a realized being. I'm just somebody working on myself like everybody else is. Mm -hmm. I'm not a group. Yes. I mean, that's a, that's other yeah. people's projection. And um, the anxiety still comes and goes. But the difference is now that instead of my being anxious, there is anxiety, okay? Mm -hmm. In other words, all, everything that's my, every experience I have is grist for the mill. See, my system is complete. It's a total system. It may be total psychosis, you can call it whatever you want, but it's a total system, just like everybody else's is. But my system is totally designed to extricate me from systems. All right, that's the closest way I can say it. And I'm using a system to get rid of the system I grew up into, okay? The habits of thought. Once I get there, then those habits also have to go. I'm using a crutch to get rid of something else, then I get to get rid of the crutch, okay? So that... Uh, all of it, all my feelings, all my experiences, if I get anxious because I'm going to come on your radio show, I think, you know, that throws me back. I notice the experience, the energy, that thing. And that says, far out, look at that one. It's like looking at a tree growing. So look at that, look at that bud, or look at that burr on the bark. Isn't that far out? And then you sit down and be quiet inside. Mm. And you start to notice what desires on your part are creating that anxiety. Because it's only your attachments that create suffering. If you don't want anything, there is no suffering. Mm. Yeah, it's the I, profundity of Buddha's uh, Four Noble Truths. I understand the part about, you know, the distinction between being anxious and there being anxiety. Yeah. Uh, it's almost, uh, you can almost see it physically. You see the anxiety yeah. several feet away and you say, oh, look, there's anxiety. Right. Um, I... I that has to do yeah. with whether or not you identify with your personality or not. And whether you identify first with your body and then with your personality. All right, okay. that I got to ask you about because that's something that has really puzzled me. I talk to a lot of people now who are on spiritual um, uh, trips uh, of various kinds. And they always talk about getting rid of your personality mm -hmm. or getting rid of your ego. And... Um, and for me, you don't get rid of anything. That's a misconception. Uh, okay. What you get rid of is the identification with it. It goes on perfectly, like your heart continues to beat, although you're not saying beat, 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 beat. Well, in the same way, your body can work perfectly, optimally, without you having to be self-consciously identified with it. See, most of us think for anything to happen, we've got to get behind ourselves mm. and push, yeah. right? Well, actually, there's a whole other level, which would be called Taoist, or getting into the harmony or flow of the universe, where you're just like a baby is attracted to certain kinds of foods because nutritionally it needs it, yeah. these kind of studies. 
And in the same way, we are so far off in, in our, our minds, into our rational minds, we've gotten so away from the harmony of our body and our personality. Each of us, like, has an astral sign. We each have an MMPI profile. We each have a, <laughs> et cetera. What's that? Minnesota multiphasic personality. Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> I'm giving you two planes of reality. Right, right. right. Yes. That's for the uh, psychology students out there. Yeah. Another hook. Yeah. And, and the personnel managers too. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. We each have all these individual differences and the individual differences don't go away. It's just that we cease to be identified so much with our individual differences as which it's like a figure ground reversal as which that is, which is common to all of us behind our individual differences. Yeah. Okay, let me, let me ask, um, hey, this is on still another plane, WRVR in New York, 106.7 FM. Uh, we will, I gotta ask you something else. The, as I follow you along, I stop, uh, I'm, I was about to say dead in my tracks, but I, that's an exaggeration, but I certainly do halt and, and hesitate. When I realize that, um, you made the progression from a Richard Alpert classic, modern, intellectual, inauthentic kind of guy to uh, Ram Dass by finding the truth. Mm. And every time I hear the word the truth, mm. I get deeply uh, scared. Mm -hmm. Because so many people's truths mm. have wiped out so many other people. Mahatma Gandhi uh, had a very nice little routine about that. He was leading a uh, Satyagraha, one of those um, protest marches against the British in India to the ocean. And uh, after about a day, he stopped it. And the, uh, his lieutenants came up to him and said, hey, man, you can't stop these things once you get them going. I mean, you know, you've got all these thousands of people. You just can't say, I'm stopping it right now. And Gandhi said, uh, conditions have changed, and he said, my commitment is not to consistency, my commitment is to truth, and I'm not God, I don't know absolute truth, I only know relative truth, and it changes from day to day, and all I can do is be consistent with the truth as I see it from moment to moment, knowing that it's all relative, you know? I mean, I don't, uh, I can honor another being who is responding in relation to the truth as they see it, as honorably as they see it. It's the hypocrisy in an individual that they know they're not seeing, they're not speaking what they see to be the truth. That's the sickness in man, not the, uh, not the differences, because each of us has a different perceptual view of the universe, because each of us has different karma, or whatever you want to call the individual difference constituents. Okay, that, that, that's uh, an answer I have not gotten from other people, and, uh, and that, that's a whole different... Yeah kettle of fish, ball yeah. of wax, or whatever. Uh, it's like, um, uh, not long ago, I spent some time with Huey Newton, mm -hmm. who's a friend, and uh, Huey uh, was telling me how um, uh, when one of his brothers came to see him, because he was in the role of a theoretician for the Panthers, uh, he would um, hear what was hanging the guy up, or what the problem was, and he'd see the solution, and he'd help the guy with the solution, but he said he felt guilty because he wasn't getting as emotionally angry as he felt he ought to be in relation to the guy to help him. I mean, the emotional thing. And I said, the predicament is, as he became more conscious that who he was was not, he wasn't as identified with the role, he felt he was losing his effectiveness. Mm. And what I was saying to him was that he was increasing his effectiveness sure. because his consciousness, being less attached, was able to perceive more of the field and he could convert 
the Panthers and his own position into a way that really relieves human suffering, just doesn't create more of it in a kind of a us against them kind of mentality. And uh, that's my feeling is that like, and when he said to me, um, you know, what should I be doing? Or when we talked about it, I said, you just be Huey, be essence Huey Newton. That is just become whatever you are more essencely. I mean, uh, it's not saying don't be a panther or don't protest the injustices against blacks, but do it consciously, you know, find your part in the drama and do it consciously. You know, if you're serving in this way, uh, you know, uh, through the media, do it consciously. I mean, it's in each act, you know, if you're a shoemaker, do it consciously. Yeah, the more conscious you are, not only are you more effective, uh, I mean, that's one way to put it. I find the more conscious I am, the less afraid I am Mm. of anything. And exactly. uh, um, But it's, it's very hard to get to get up there to see it all underneath. Every time you trip, just get up. Yeah, I think from now on, I'll get up because I'll lose the microphone. Uh, hey, we will um, we'll interrupt again. We'll take a break and we'll be back with Ram Das. We're back, and I just said, hey, uh, I said to the engineer during that break, I said, hey, when we come back, we're going to play the music, and there was consternation because <laughs> it seems that the turntable doesn't, and it's being fixed, and I hope that within a few moments we'll be able to play some of that music. Well, we'll just fill time. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll pretend we're filling time. Uh, no, okay. no. I, what we, what we, no. I, the music. Hey, let's tell them. Let's uh, let's tell them about the music. No, let's be serious. But time will fill us instead. Um, let's. Oh, that's good. Let's tell them about the the. Oh, we already have it. See, I was I was about to uh, go into a whole other area, but, but we won't. We hey, what, what are these records that you have brought? Well, um, without plugging your competitor, uh, you can plug. Last year, um, I did uh, four all-night radio shows on BAI right. with Paul Gorman, and uh, people called in from all over New Jersey and you know Bronx and Queens. Uh, and it was really very beautiful, very sacred space we all shared during the night. It was the night hours when nobody else wanted them really, and there we were. You know, it was very beautiful. And I uh, felt so good, and the connection was so strong that I read things from like the Gospel according to John, the new new version of that, and from the Ramayana, and um, f- uh, from the Third Chinese Patriarch. I added that later. And uh, we had some music that night too. Um, beautiful girl Mirabai, who sings in New York now, a very very promising girl, who you hear. And. Um, then I uh, got all finished, and Paul said, you know, uh, out of the 26 hours of tapes, there'd be some nice stuff here that people would like. And then going around the country, I was doing Elliot Mintz's show in L.A., and I had some phone calls there that were essence, and we picked out the phone calls that represented the things that most people were concerned about, like politics, like uh, desire systems, like sex, like, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and family relations and stuff. And we um, brought those together for three sides, and then uh, the Ramayana, a chapter of that, which is a very holy book about service, which is my particular sect in India. Then the gospel and a meditation. And uh, then I picked up different music around the way and put it together into two sides of a record. So it turns out to be uh, six records, 12 sides, with an uh, art booklet. And we're doing it and trying to do it in terms of uh, alternative culture economics as well. So it's a mail order item only available at $4.50, right? Which for six records is very reasonable these days. And um, how to, how to, what, what's it called? It's called Love Serve Remember. 
And uh, where do people write to get it? They write to uh, ZBS, ZBS, RD1, Fort Edward, New York, 12828. ZBS, RD1, Fort Edward, New York, 12828. Hmm. I'm, a, I'm a walking commercial. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you. <laughs>